Money on my mind. There's a song there. I don't really know how it goes, but um, we're going to talk about money tonight. You ready? You excited? Come on. All right. So when I think about, so specifically tonight, we're going to talk about generosity to kick off this series. But for me, when I think about generosity, I can't help but think of Easter of 2003. It's a, it's a legendary day for our family. Uh, so at the time, I was 10 years old, and my little brother Derek, who played guitar tonight, was six. Where's Derek at? Right over here. Okay. 2003. And, uh, and my family had just moved into a new house two days before Easter or, or three days before and so my mom didn't have much time to prepare her gifts. Now, like maybe you didn't get gifts on Easter, but my parents are crazy about gift giving. We would get like a ton of new stuff on Easter. It was ridiculous. But anyways, so two days before, you know, we move in and, and she has to get a last minute gift. And my mom grew up on a farm. She grew up in Springville, Iowa. Maybe you've heard of it. No? Yeah, someone? Okay. So she grew up on a farm out there. So she had this dream for my family that uh, we would become out Dorsey. And we had moved on to an acreage. You know, we moved from the city onto this acreage. And my mom was excited about it. So she went out and got my brother uh, and myself bug catchers. And if you know me and Derek, we're just not the outdoorsy types. All right? <laughs> so, uh, so we open up these bug catchers. We're used to getting DVDs and video games. And we get a couple bug catchers. And I was 10, so I knew that I should at least pretend that it was cool. So I was like, oh, thanks, Mom. That was really sweet of you. Derek opens it, and he's like, really? a bug catcher, <laughs> and he throws it down and stomps into his room, slams the door, and he pouts for the next couple hours, but he felt bad. He was only six, okay, so give the guy a break. He was used to getting a lot of nice toys, uh, and, uh, but he felt bad, and he kept that bug catcher, I'm pretty sure, all the way through high school, somewhere under his bed, just because he felt bad, uh, but I share that story tonight because we're going to be talking about giving and generosity. And for my mom, she didn't necessarily nail Derek's gift that year, but she cared enough to give a gift from her heart and something that she thought we would enjoy. And, and tonight we're going to talk about how God cares about the state of our hearts when we give. You know, the question is, where is our heart at? And if our heart's in a good place, if we feel the gratitude of God and that causes us to give out of gratitude for him, then that's a good place to be when it comes to generosity. And maybe you can relate with the baby version of Derek. You know, many of us struggle at times with being content with what we do have, and we hold on to our possessions very tightly. Or maybe you always want to buy more stuff for yourself to, to satisfy something in your heart. I know for me, I sh do struggle with that at times. I always have this insidious urge to, to buy more and more stuff. And it's something that's true of every human heart, I believe, that, that every human heart feels this temptation to accumulate possessions for themselves, and, and we think that if we get that new iPhone, or we get that new car, or get that new house, whatever, we think if we get that thing, then it will fulfill something inside of us, but every time that I've ever gotten a brand new version of the iPhone, I've always thought it's not that much different than the one before, it's not that much better. The battery lasts longer, thanks Apple, uh, for making my phone slow down, but that's about the only good thing from it. Um, or maybe you don't really buy possessions, but, it's, but something I've noticed uh, is some people, and for me, I don't struggle with this as much. My savings account is probably too low. I should probably build it up a little bit more. But some people struggle with building up their savings account and, and building and building it up because they want to have security. They want it to be where no matter what happens, I always have my savings account to rely on. And I'm not saying anything against saving. We'll talk about saving tonight. It's a good biblical thing. We should prepare for the future. But if your savings account is what you're trusting in, 
then there's something wrong there. And if your savings account is causing you not to give, if you're saving before you give, then there's something wrong with that as well. So I think we all have different struggles when it comes to this. Um, But I think the general theme is probably most of us, if not all of us, unless you have the spiritual gift of giving, struggle to some extent with being generous with others. And there could be many reasons for this. Maybe it's that you don't feel content with what you have, or maybe you haven't felt God's generosity towards you yet, and that's what motivates us to give. Or maybe you don't feel secure and you want to hoard your money. So there's multiple reasons, but, but no matter where you're at financially, whether you're impoverished or you're rich or you're simply average, I think we all struggle with this to an extent. And like I said, I'm guilty of this as well. But I believe that tonight that, that Jesus wants to reorient our hearts on this subject and stir us to be generous. I just believe that. I believe that God's going to open your eyes to the amazing life that he calls you into. It, Jesus, or not Jesus, well, Someone's quoting Jesus, I forget who it is, but in the book of Acts, uh, someone's quoting Jesus and saying that he said it was a more blessed to give than to receive. And that's true. It's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I have more joy. I mean, I enjoy getting Christmas gifts, but, but it's more fun when you go out and you pick out a great gift for someone and you give it to them and you get to watch them open it. That's more enjoyable than getting stuff. So we're going to see that tonight. So like I said, tonight we're beginning a series on finances, and tonight's sermon is called Generosity on My Mind. All right, so there's money on my mind, there's generosity on my mind, and then next week we're going to talk about uh, stewardship, and we'll have a guest speaker again, so some of you are like, praise God, so many guest speakers this semester, and that's Clint, or Pastor Clint from Crosspoint, he's the youth pastor there, uh, He is also Natalie's uncle, all right, Natalie Sachs, he preached about a year ago and was incredible, so I'm excited to have him back, and he actually is also in the marketplace, so for those of you, which is most of us here that are going into the marketplace, but you maybe feel called to ministry as well. Clint can be a great example to you on how you can be in the marketplace and minister as well in the local church. So I'm excited for that. But tonight we're going to talk about the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. And before we read Luke 21, it's important to understand what comes right before it at the end of Luke 20. So here's something you should know, is that when the Bible was written, they didn't put the chapters and verses in the scriptures when they first wrote them, right? That happened later. Way later, someone decided to put chapters and verses to help us to understand or to find our place better. Uh, but so right before Luke 21, there's, there's an important story in Luke 20. And we'll throw up the verses here. I'm not going to read them. But, but Jesus uh, is warning us to beware or to, or, to be, or to beware of the scribes. So these are religious people, and they like to get attention. They like to appear like they were holy, but even though they like to appear like they were holy in front of the crowds, they would take advantage of other people. So, and specifically, they would take advantage of the widows. And, and the widows were the most defenseless people in the society. Uh, and they encouraged these widows to give gifts to them that were beyond their financial means. And they also charged them an unreasonable amount to help them with their affairs. So these widows needed help with their affairs, and the scribes said, we'll help you but they charged them this unreasonable amount. So they were taking advantage of people, and they were trying to just appear good. But then we get a contrast to these religious scribes. There's a contrast in Luke 21. We get to see a poor widow. And, and uh, the author Luke put these two stories uh, just right next to each other for a reason, because he wanted us to see the contrast. So it's important when you're reading the Bible, not just to look at the chapters and think they're separated, because a lot of times uh, like there might be a logical break there, but there's a connection between the chapters. These, these books that you have in the Bible were actually meant 
uh, for the most part, to, or to be read in one sitting. Um, it wasn't meant to, to just read a few verses a day, and so it was supposed to be read in one sitting. So anyways, Luke 21, verse 1 through 4, this is going to be our text tonight. It says, Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute, or contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So the main idea tonight is this. If you're taking notes, the big idea that I want you to get, it's a simple but powerful concept, is those who have been shown the generosity of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've been shown the generosity of God. Jesus has died so that you could live. And Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the powers of hell and the powers of evil so that you could live. So you've been shown God's generosity. So the way you respond to that is by being generous with other people. So that's the main thrust of this whole talk tonight. So this widow had been so moved by God that she felt secure to give everything she had, to give it all. She didn't have any money really, but she gave her last two small copper coins because she trusted that her God would provide. She had understood God's attitude towards her, and God's attitude towards her and towards us is one of love and one of provision and one of generosity. She understood that, and she responded to it by saying, God, I can give everything to the temple because I know that you're going to take care of me. I know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a verse from the Old Testament. God owns everything. God can do anything. He can provide for us, and she knew that, so she was able to give everything. So let's pray over that, and then we're going to get into it more. God, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to be here as a, as a group of people. Some people are following you, some people are not. Uh, but God, we're all here together to hear what your word says and to worship you. So God, I pray tonight that you would speak through me. And Holy Spirit, I give you permission to, to just use my mouth as a mouthpiece and to speak directly to these hearts and to my own heart. So God, I pray that you'd have your way, and I pray that this text would come alive to us. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so this poor widow is an incredible example to us of someone who truly understood God's generosity and how we should respond to it. So, or so Luke refers to this woman not as just a widow, but as a poor widow. And that's important because this inclusion of poor wasn't really necessary because widows in Jesus' day uh, would have few, if any, means to make an income. They didn't have a lot of cash. There was no money on their mind. They didn't have any money. And these widows were considered to be poor, but but Luke thought it was important to include that she was poor to show that she was the poorest of the poor. This woman was very poor. And this text says that, the, that this woman gave two small copper coins. And these coins were of very small monetary value, perhaps like a penny today. But the, but the coin was called a lepta. And, and scholars often say that, that at the temple, the, or the minimum offering that you could give to the offering box was uh, two lepta, okay? And that's what she gave. She gave the very minimal offering. She gave everything, but it was the minimal offering that could be given. And then Jesus says, even though she gave the minimal offering, he says that she put in more than all of the rich people. So maybe they put in thousands of these leptas, but she put in more than all of the rich people who put these large gifts in. So why does Jesus say that? Well, he says that because she gave everything she had to, to live on. She didn't have anything else. I.H. Marshall, an incredible Bible scholar, says this in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke. He says, To Jesus, what matters is not the amount that someone gives, but the amount that someone keeps for oneself. 
So it's not as much how much you give. You may be a millionaire and you give $1,000. Well, that's not very much if you're a millionaire. But if someone who makes $1,000 gives 100 bucks, that's a lot more. So, it, so it's more about how much you keep for yourself. And Luke, like I said, is contrasting this woman's gift with both, of, or both the religious scribes that uh, were mentioned in Luke 20 and then also the rich people who gave the big offering. So in contrast to the scribes that we read in Luke 20, uh, who like attention from people and take advantage of the powerless, this woman gave for an audience of one. She didn't give to be seen by anybody. She gave for God. And that's important for us. When we're giving, we don't give to be seen by others. We don't go up to a poor person on the street and wave a $100 bill around, look what I'm doing, and then give it to them. No, we give it to them privately. We don't want anyone to see. That's the heart that God wants us to have. And she didn't give out of her abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. So Jesus also contrasts her with uh, the rich people who gave offerings out of their abundance. So she gave everything she had, and she didn't give for attention. Those are two important things. Uh, so this woman's generous act tells us three things, three principles about giving that I think we need to get. And the first thing is this, we need to give everything to God. The first thing this story shows is that followers of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then you're off the hook. But if you become a Christian, you're not off the hook anymore, all right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you should give everything to God. This woman didn't give her leftovers. She didn't give her extras, but she gave God everything. And God calls us to do the same with our finances. In the Old Testament, God required that his people Israel would give a tithe of their income. So a tithe just means 10%. So God called the Israelites to give 10% of everything they had. And because Israel was largely a cashless society, they didn't have dollar bills or debit cards, but instead they had produce and grain and wine and oil, they would have to divide their goods up 10% and then give that to God. So think of having to do that. You know, sometimes we complain about tithing. I don't want to give 10%. And all we have to do is go online, do a calculator, give us 10% of my check, give it to the church. But these people had to do some work to tithe. They or this was a practice of worship. When they gave it, it was something that took heart and effort, and, and it was an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. When you give, it's not for your church. It's not to fulfill a religious obligation, but it's an act of worship to God, much like, uh, or much like when we sing. So I think being exuberant in your praise, like when you come to a gathering like this, but being tight with your finances when it comes to giving, I don't think those two things go together. If you're truly someone who worships God, someone who truly loves God, then you'll be willing to give him um, at least 10%. And we'll see that. So Malachi 3.10, this is an Old Testament verse about the tithe. So it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. He says, put me to the test. He says, if you give, I'll take care of you. He says this, If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. He says, if you give, I got your back. You don't need to worry. I can do more with your 90% than you can do with 100%. So this was a practice that God encourages people to do all throughout the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see a shift. So we don't see anywhere in the New Testament where they tell the church to tithe. We don't see that. It doesn't mean that it's not something that they practice, but, but it's not something we see in our scriptures. So Jesus, I don't think he asks us or I don't think he asked us to give 10% to check off a religious box. Like, okay, I gave a tithe. I'm doing my religious duty just like going to church. Just like reading my Bible, it's this duty I do. And then we're good. Like we give 10% and it's like, okay, I'm good. I did what I'm supposed to do. I've been as generous as God wants me to be. Now I can keep the rest and do whatever I want. 
Instead, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus raises the bar on giving. He raises the bar on generosity. So instead of asking for 10% of your money, he asks for 100%. Some of you are like, what? I'm going to keep any of it? Well, let's see. So there's a story where a rich, there's this rich young man who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this, isn't, this doesn't apply for everyone, but for this man, money was his God. Because he was a rich young man, he, he relied on his money. And Jesus said, if you really want to follow me, then you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Because you're not going to be able to serve me and have money. That's just not the way it's going to work for you. Now, God might not ask you to do that, but there's this principle where Jesus, or Jesus wants us to give everything to him. He might let you keep some of it, but he wants you to first give it to him and let him decide where it goes. So we also see this in Luke 14, 33. Jesus says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And that doesn't just apply to cash. It applies to your ideology, your, your thinking about the world, about God. It applies to the way you treat other people. It applies to the way you live your life. It applies to everything. If you want to follow Jesus, he says you have to put all your chips in. You have to put everything in. You have to put it all before God and say, God, my life is yours. I surrender it to you, do with me what you will. That's really where salvation begins, is where we say, God, I'm giving you my life, and I'm trusting you enough to know that you're going to work it out for my good. I trust you to lead my life. And there's many texts that are like this. So the call of Jesus is that uh, when you come to him, you're no longer the owner of your life, you're no longer the, or the owner of your possessions. Instead, you're simply a steward of your possessions. So a hundred percent of what you have is God's, and then he's calling you to steward it. He's letting you put it in the right places, and he might let you keep some of it. Like I said, I keep some of my money. God lets me keep it, but that's between me and God. I have to ask him, God, can I keep this? God, can I buy this? I ask God, hey, how much money can I keep? And I probably should give more. He's probably going to ask me for more after this sermon, but the point is we're a steward, and God wants us to hold everything with an open hand before him, no matter what it is. doesn't matter if it's your relationship with that boy or girl. doesn't matter if it's finances. doesn't matter if it's your major or your career or your future or where you want to live. You put everything before King Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you have the best for me in mind, and I trust you to lead and guide me as I put these certain things in certain places when it comes to finances. So with that said, we're not just called to give 10%, but I think 10% should be our starting point. I'm not saying you have to give more than 10%. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that 10% should be your starting point. Because if the people of the Old Testament, if the Israelites who did not have Jesus, their hearts were still dead. It says that in the Old Testament that uh, the Israelite people had hearts of stone. But then when Jesus came, he took a heart of stone, took it out of our chest in a sense spiritually, and gives us a heart of flesh. He makes us come alive spiritually. In Ephesians 2, it says that each of us were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but Jesus, being, or being rich in mercy, made us come alive together in Christ. If that's who we are, then we can at least do what the heart of stone people did and at least give 10%. So that's where we start. 10% is the starting point, but then you say, God, do you want me to give anything else? So for me, ever since I can remember, I talked about how my parents are generous, and, and they have always ingrained the importance of tithing specifically, but then also generosity into my head. So from the time I was 14 and I shoveled snow for my dad the very first time for, his, for a snowplow business, I got 100 bucks, gave 10 bucks to my church. 
I've always done it just because it's something I was trained to do. Many of us, that's probably not something our parents taught us to do. So if this is new to you, that's okay. We're going to explore this together. But I remember after our sophomore years of college, Emily and I um, just had went to church, uh, to my home church, and we had tithed that day. And we had decided, we had said, okay, we're going to always tithe. God's always taking care of us. We're always going to tithe. But I can remember there was one time after church when we had tithed, and I'm like, that really sucked. I'm broke. I'm a college student. I'm getting married. I'm moving to Minneapolis, which is a lot more expensive to live than here. And I just gave a church that has a lot more money than I do money. This doesn't feel good. And I was venting to Emily. And of course, for me, I wasn't going to go back on tithing. I believed in it. But Emily, being the good Christian girl that she is, was very worried about me and my spiritual state. She started to panic. She's like, Daniel, you can't change your mind on this. This is so important. You're going off the deep end. There's so many times like that. Because I'm kind of like David in the Psalms. If you ever read the Psalms, David vented, all right? He complained to God. And I'm a David. I complain, and I vent at God. And Emily is more like a Paul. It's just like, tough it up. It's going to be all right. <laughs> so uh, I can remember that. But, but we decided, you know, tithing is going to be a practice we have. And we were nervous as we moved to Minneapolis. We didn't have jobs. We are going to try to live in the city uh, we're 20 years old and getting married. And it was amazing as God provided every month. And we didn't make any money. Like, I don't know how he did it, but every month he provided. And we always tithe our finances. So I share that not to toot my horn. You know, a lot of it's just from my upbringing. But I share that to say that the promise of Malachi 3, verse 10, is true. Bring the tithe into the storehouse and watch how I will open the windows of heaven on you. Watch. I encourage you, if you have not begun to tithe, to consider doing that or consider giving some percentage of your income to the local church. Second point tonight is this. We give in faith that God will supply our needs. So the poor widow's gift was ultimately an act of faith, wasn't it? She had two coins. That was it, two pennies. She gives them. That's an act of faith saying, my dad is going to take care of me. My dad is going to take care of me. In the book of in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. From prison, he's in prison, all right? And this is what he writes. This guy, I tell you, he's not like David. He don't complain. He's like, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. She, Paul's like Emily, like I said. And this is what it says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left uh, Macedonia, there was no church that entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So this guy was a missionary and he had to gather financial supporters. That's something, that, um, that's something that I have to do, actually. I have to ask churches to support Chi Alpha so we can do this on the campus. So I'm kind of similar uh, to the situation. But there, there's no church that entered into giving besides the Church of Philippi. Even in Thessala, or Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So when you're giving to someone, it's not for that person, although, yes, give to that person, but it's actually... Or it's actually more beneficial to you. The people who support Chi Alpha Campus Ministry here at UNI, it's more important for them than it is for us. I believe that. It gives them more blessing than it does us. We're thankful for them, and we need them to do what we do. But it actually blesses them more in the end. But anyways, I'm getting on a sidetrack. So it says, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He's in prison, remember. Having received from, I'm not going to try to say that, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 19, Paul just being the guy that he is, the annoying dude, the, this annoying church kid that just always trusts God, says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul affirms their generosity. 
And he gives them this promise from God. God will supply every need of yours, everything. God is going to provide. God will supply. God will provide. Those of you who are going on the mission trip, you know that's true. God is going to provide. He will not let you down. And when we get this truth in our hearts, it frees us up to be generous. We don't give in fear that God might not come through, but instead we give knowing that God will supply our needs. And we join this poor widow in giving everything we have and trusting him. So one of my heroes in the faith is a guy named George Muller, okay? Or Muller, I forget. It's something like that. But anyways, Muller. And he was around in the 1800s, and he ran this orphanage in Europe. And this guy was profound. I had the privilege to read his autobiography back in 2016. And he never, ever solicited funds for his orphanage. Instead, he would ask dad in heaven, so he'd ask God, and say, hey, uh, we need some cash to pay for these kids that just got dropped off on our door today. Can you supply that? And I, or so I read his autobiography. So he would write these entries, all right? He's saying, God, I need your help. You need to provide. And then every single time, people would come through. Like he'd write an entry the next day. So I prayed yesterday, and then God came through the day. A $300 gift came in the mail or something like that. The point is, he never, ever asked for money. But people would always provide it because God would move their hearts, and then they would give. And he was able to house hundreds of orphans in Europe. Only through prayer, only through asking dad who is going to supply his needs. And this book came at a pivotal time in my life. And I actually read it over the course of June 2016 to December 2016. And it's only like 150 pages. So it took me a long time. To be honest, it's really, really boring. Okay, so if you want to be bored to death, read this book. But I knew I needed to read it because, like I said, for Chi Alpha, we raise money. It's something that I have to do. I have to ask God, God, will you supply the needs of Chi Alpha? And every month we have thousands of dollars that are given to Chi Alpha. And that supplies our personal, uh, uh, personal needs because, you know, I get paid through Chi Alpha. It's my job. Some of you think I just do this on Tuesdays. and no, I do it all week long. It's my job, 40-plus hours a week. But anyways, uh, and also we pay for stuff like this speaker and that banner and these lights. And, and when I take you out for lunch all the time and I look like the most generous dude ever, well, you can actually thank the people who give to Chi Alpha so I can take you out for lunch. So anyways, we raise thousands of dollars to provide for Chi Alpha. And at the, or at the end of 2016, um, a few people had said they're not going to be able to give in 2017. And we already had not had our funds to 100%, like everything we needed. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to get our paycheck. And I'm praying, and it's, it's December 2016. I had read like 80 pages of that book. It was set on my nightstand. And, and I could not sleep. There's this one I just could not sleep. I was up for hours and hours just worrying about it. And then I looked over and that book was sitting there. So I began to read it. And I began, just all night I was reading it. And I saw how God was providing for George. I'm like, God, you're the same God of the 1800s that provided for George. You can provide for Chi Alpha. And me and Emily went to the season of fasting in, in January 2017 and asking God to supply the needs of Chi Alpha. And it was incredible as our monthly support grew by 50%. And we didn't ask anyone to give to us in 2017. People just decided to give. So I share that to say this. Chi Alpha, you know, needs supporters. So once you graduate, hey, think about it, pray about it. But I also say that to say that God is the supplier. It's not our, uh, it's not our know-how. It's not our figuring out everything, calculating. Do I have enough money for the next 17 years of my life to live comfortably? Do I have enough money in the savings account to provide for years and years and years from now? No, we don't do that. Save for retirement, sure. 
You don't have to worry about that yet, but do that at some point. But you don't need to have everything figured out. You have to trust God. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says this. It says, give us this day our daily bread. God does not call us to have everything figured out for the next three decades. He calls us to trust him day in, day out, and God will provide. All right. So a good mantra to live by is this, with this in mind. Give first. Give first. That should be the first thing you do. First thing I do when we get our paycheck, 10%, boom, goes to Grace Community Church. First thing I do. And we support missionaries every month as well. That goes off the top. So we give first. Second thing you should do, save. So I do think you should save. I'm just saying saving shouldn't prevent your giving. Saving should not be first. It should be second. So save. That's a good thing to do. Read the book of Proverbs. talks a lot about setting your kids up for success. Do that. Pay for your kids' college. All that's good. And then the third thing is live on the rest. So make the decision, this is how much we're going to give. This is how much I'm going to save, and this is how much I'm going to live on. And ask God to be a part of that. All right, the last thing tonight, and then we're done. Third thing, and I've already said this a bit, but um, we should give in response to the generosity of Jesus with a cheerful heart. So if we want to become a generous people, then we must first encounter the love of God. That's why for Chi Alpha, one one of the pieces of our mission statement is encounter God. It's the first part of it. I believe everything starts with an encounter with the God who is called love in 1 John. The God who is love. It starts with an encounter with him. And then everything else flows out of that. So first we need to encounter the generosity and the love of God and we need to make Jesus our treasure. And then out of that we no longer feel this need to hold on to earthly treasures or to build up earthly treasures. Treasures. And the truth is, we cannot, within ourselves, get enough power or effort to become generous. We need God to stir us, because our hearts are always tending towards self-centeredness. Like, we know that's true, right? Like, you know that's true, hopefully, unless you're just amazing. You're like Jesus' granddaughter, great, I don't know, I'm getting, okay, I'm going to just leave that over there. Uh, forget about it. There's sometimes I try to tell jokes, and they just, they don't work. So anyways, uh, the point I'm trying to make is we're all self-centered. That's the way that we are. Sin has contaminated our hearts and it's made us self-centered. So on your own, you cannot become generous. Unless Jesus intervenes with his grace and his love and his generosity, you're always going to be tempted to serve the master of money. And Matthew 6, 24 says, No one, this is Jesus, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the only way that you can become a person who's focused on God and others and being generous is if you first encounter the love of Jesus and he becomes the master of your heart. Or as that song says, the king of my heart, right? It says, you're never going to let me down. So it's sourcing this idea that God will never let you down. And when you know that God will never let you down, then you, or then you know that he can be the king of your heart. But before he becomes the king, you have to realize that he is not going to let you down. So can I ask you a question? Just think about this. I'll give you a a few seconds of awkward silence to think about it. Am I mastered, so you're asking yourself this question, am I mastered by the love of Jesus or am I mastered by something else? It doesn't have to be money, but something else. Who is your master? What's the most important thing in your life? In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul implores the church 
to be mastered by God's love and to give sacrificially to take care of the needs of the poor Christians in Judea. So after pleading with them to give, he says this in verse 8 and 9. He says, I say this, or I say this not as a command. So like I said, there's no command to give a certain amount. Paul is not making us give. Jesus doesn't make us give. But I say this to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty um, or might become rich. So there's two important things to get from this. The first is people who truly love Jesus People who have genuine love, as he says in verse 8, are going to be generous. You don't do it because it's a command, but you do it because you have genuine love for God. And when you genuinely love God, you can't help but be, or but be generous. The second thing is, is our generosity needs to be rooted in the example of Jesus, the truly rich one who became poor for us. If we want to be able to become a generous people, then we need to get a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the God who became man, the one who was rich, he had all of heaven, all the majesty and splendor, all the praise of his people. He had all these things. The creatures cry out to him. The rocks cry out to Jesus. He had all this glory, all this splendor, all this majesty, but he chose to come out of that to save us from our sin and to defeat death, sin, hell, and the grave. Jesus chose to die on a cross to be crucified, to become the poorest of the poor so that you might live. Each of us have sinned against God, as Pastor Jason was talking about, and each of us deserve to pay the penalty for sin. But, but God, being rich in mercy, sent his own son, the truly rich one, to become poor for us so that each of us could have eternal life with God. If we want to be a generous people, then we need to get this truth the truth of the generosity of Jesus Christ. We need to get this deep inside of our heart. We must get to this point where we allow the good news that the rich one became poor for us to transform us. When we see the generosity of God, the generosity of God that compelled him to give his own son, it spurs us to say, I'm going to give whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus. God does not want you to begrudgingly give to fulfill some religious obligation or to look good like the scribes did. But instead, he wants you to give in response to his love and with a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Christian giving is not about giving a certain percentage to look religious. We don't follow the example of the scribes, but instead, we give out of response by God or out of response to God's love, just like the poor widow did in Luke 21. So with all this talk about generosity in mind, the question is, where do I start? Well, I have three things that I think are important for Christians to, or to work towards. And I'm not saying you have to do all this today. If you're not giving anything, if you're giving 0%, you probably can't give 20% tomorrow. You need to figure some stuff out. But here's my encouragement. The first thing is this. If you're a Christian, I encourage you to tithe 10% of your income to your local church. So not to Kyle, if I'm not asking for your money. So there's no offering after this. Actually, we have to pay the university if we do an offering. So I don't do those here. But I'm saying that 10% off the top should go to your church. If you don't give to your church, and I don't care if you make 10 bucks a week, give a dollar. If you can't give a little, then you're not going to be able to give much later in life. 
But if you don't give to your church, that church won't be able to be open. How do we pay for the building of Grace Community? How do we pay Pastor Nick so he can provide for his family? How do we uh, pay for the coffee that's delicious on Sunday mornings? We pay for it through tithe, right? So I encourage you to tithe 10%. Maybe you have a church that, that you call your local church at home. Maybe you call Grace Community your home church. Maybe you call Prairie Lakes. I don't care where it is. But for your sake, I encourage you to give 10%. Second thing is I encourage you to consider giving to a missionary on a monthly basis or to give a special gift to a missionary. Maybe you don't know a missionary. That's okay. I know a lot of them. So I'll give you a list. You can choose your favorite country and then decide to give to them. I'm also a missionary. I'm not telling you to give to me. Jason's a missionary. There's going to be more missionaries as people decide to be on staff here at Chi Alpha. And my hope and my dream for this ministry is that 10 years from now, five years from now, that this ministry would be funded completely by alumni. That's my dream. That alumni would graduate from here, get good jobs, make more money than I do, and they give back to Chi Alpha. Because we are going to keep building our team. Me and Jason are not going to be the only two people on staff. I pray that there will be a day when we have five, six people on staff full-time so we can reach this campus. Because if it's just me and Jason, we can't make a huge dent for the 12,000 students. But with more people, we can reach more people. So anyways, maybe you'll be one of those people who become a staff member or do an internship with Kyle. But we have an internship if you didn't know that. But anyways, so my hope is that you would consider after you graduate to give back to Kyle. Alpha. And I pray that now you would even start to give to missions, whether you want to give to foreign missions, campus missions, whatever. Third thing, give compassion gifts to help the poor and to fight injustice. There are so many ways you can do this. There are so many places you can give. You can give to Charity Water, which builds wells in Africa. You can give to Feed One, the, the organization that came to Winter Conference who feeds children all over the world. You can give to Compassion International, which you, or that's where you pay $38 a month and you sponsor a kid, and you're feeding that kid. Um, or you can give to A21, which is a, an organization that fights human sex trafficking. And it can be a dollar a month. You don't have to overthink it. Don't think, i got to give 100 or I can't give anything. Just start giving what you have right now, just like the poor widow did. She gave two coins. Maybe for you, you put two pennies. That might be disappointing for them, but hey, you start with two pennies if you have to, right? But begin to give now, because if you don't give now, you're not going to give later. Like, as you get more money, you're going to think you need to buy more stuff. That's what happens. Like, I felt like, oh, once I make more money, once we only make more money, like, oh, we're going to have so much more margin. That's not the truth. We bought a house. We have cars. Like, there's things you have to pay for, and then you don't have as much money. So begin giving now, all right? So that's my three encouragements. So the main idea tonight, again, is this. Those who have been shown the, the generosity of God are called to be generous with others. And again, if we hope to be generous with others, then uh, we should start uh, with encountering the, the generosity of God that was shown on the cross of Jesus Christ. John 3.16. You've probably heard this verse if you've been in church. If you haven't been in church and you haven't heard this verse, then pay attention. This is good. For God so loved the world that he gave, is it all caps? Yes, all caps. Good job, Jason. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So without the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, without this truth that God gave his son, his son, it, I don't think anyone in here has kids. Some people are getting close, but for the most part, nobody has kids that are living or that are born yet. Um, I don't think we really grasp the gravity of this. To have your only son, all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're enjoying community for all of eternity, 
That's the most generous act in the world to give of your child. There's so many things that parents, parents will do anything. Good parents, at least, will do anything to protect their children. They don't want their children to go through harm. They don't want their children to experience death. They don't want their children to get sick. They don't want anything bad to happen to their children. But God, the Father, gives his only son so that we could live. That truth should change us. And if God can show that kind of generosity to people like you and me, and we're pretty screwed up, let's be honest. If you hang around me at all, you'll know I'm screwed up. That God would give his only son to save someone like me, that changes me. And that gets me to the point where I'm like, God, take it all. I don't care. Take my money. I know that, that you're going to take care of me. If you would give your own son for me, then, then there's nothing that you would withhold from me. There's nothing good that you would withhold from me. This should be our fuel for generosity. This should be our motivation. And for those of you tonight who, who maybe you don't follow Jesus, maybe this is the first time you've heard of him or, or heard a thorough explanation of him, I just want to say to you that God wants to show you his generosity as well. Maybe you are feeling guilty. Maybe there are some struggles that you have in your life. Maybe you just feel like there's like life is meaningless, like there's no point to it all. Is it just to be happy, to have some fun, and then to die? And, and tonight, I just pray that you would maybe consider inviting King Jesus into your heart. This man who was, who was God, who came and lived as a human being, and he died on a cross so that you could live. I pray that you would consider accepting him into your heart, because he's not just some religious figure. He's alive. He's the Holy Spirit is here right now. God is here, and he wants to inhabit your heart and to lead and guide you every single day. All you have to do, there's nothing crazy, all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I surrender. I renounce all that I have. I give it to you. I put my faith in you, and I trust you to be my king, to be my Lord. So I would just encourage you to consider that tonight. So with this in mind, with all this generosity of God talk in mind, I just want to ask us as a community and as individuals to consider being generous. Can we commit to being generous? No matter how few pennies you have, no matter how little money you make at the piazza, can I, or maybe you don't even work at all and you have like a savings account which is just slowly going down, can I encourage you to consider being generous with what you have? If you commit to giving now when you have little, God can use you to do great things with much in the future. Can we commit to being people who come before God, no matter what it is, finances, whatever, and have open hands and say, God, it's all yours. I give it to you. I trust that you can do more with 90% than I can do with 100% when it comes to finances. And with our lives, I trust that you can do more with my whole life than I could with my life. I believe that God can birth a radical movement of giving right here at you and I with college students. I know he can do it. I don't care how few pennies you have. God can do an amazing thing through you.